1: This is David Moyes. This is Yapstam. This is Ryan Fraser. This is Troy Daly. This is Adam Lalana. This is your club, and you're listening to the big interview with Graham Hunter.
0: Welcome back to what we like to call let's see if it catches on part two the big interview with Martin O'Neill. We hear how this keen student of human nature has an obsession with true crime, it's particularly the Hanratty case. I, I put it to him. You see what I did there? <laughs> Legal terminology. I put it to him regularly, repeatedly, that he could have made it as a lawyer, given that he's bright, given that he enjoys the study of people, given that he's extremely articulate and confident when on his feet. You might be surprised by the answer. We talk about him being the captain of a Northern Ireland side, which transcended sectarian divides and plays in the 1982 World Cup, defeating the hosts, all the time with him being, at the behest of Billy Bingham, the first Catholic captain of Northern Ireland. There's content about Jerry Armstrong. Do you remember Jerry playing for Watford or for Mallorca or for Spurs in Northern Ireland? Did, did you think he was up there with the talents of Socrates and Falcao, the Brazilians of 82? Did you? Then, of course, no discussion of what Northern Ireland did in World Cup 82 in Spain would be complete without talking about the exceptional, brilliant Norman Whiteside. Martin does that really well. Yes, Northern Ireland could have gone on further had France not seen a goal of his incorrectly ruled out for offside. But nonetheless, those were glory days with Northern Ireland and they were almost equaled with the fact that Nottingham Forest won the European Cup twice under Brian Clough with Martin a mainstay in midfield but only appearing in one of the cup finals. He could have had the England job. Was he the right man? Was he experienced enough? Listen to him on this. He rejected offers to say at Celtic, including Leeds. There are questions about who his best signing as a manager were. I genuinely believe that if you've listened to him recently, particularly at the events that he's been part of that I've I've hosted, I think you might be quite taken aback by the answer Martin gives as to who is his best signing pound for pound. What was the greatest moment of his career? Winning the European Cup, getting Wickham promoted, winning a trophy with Leicester, the days at Celtic. He played for Manchester City. Did you remember that? We'll talk about that and what it was like. And finally, the payoff is, is your team looking for a manager? Why wouldn't it be Martin O'Neill? Why wouldn't it be Martin O'Neill? Who's our guest on The Big Interview. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> You've always been fascinated by people's minds, mm. and over the years, you often spoke about my 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 older daughter is doing a PhD in criminology.
1: Is she and right? Therefore, okay. I'm kind uh-huh, of right, uh-huh. listening
0: to some of her work yes, and her uh-huh. thoughts. Yeah. Hi, Cara. And across your life, you've often spoken about going to court cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Nicholl once spoke about you turning up with Nottinghamshire Police files about Dennis Nielsen, or whoever it was. You went mm-hmm. to You queued with Geraldine to go and watch the Yorkshire Ripper trials. I want to ask you in all that time you spent thinking about criminals who've done horrendous things, watching how they're tried, how they defend themselves, what was the fascination? What have you learned? If if you look back now from a point of view of being a very successful human being Mm. you've had a lovely family life you've been very successful in the all facets of your profession the career is hopefully going to continue it's not at an end but you've seen fit to write on days like these Mm -hmm. if you look back at all that fascination
1: where you've if i'm right you've tried to say what was going on in that mind what have you learned for some sane person to do essentially insane things. What, what gets into people's minds to be able to do to do these things that you think well, that, that's it's like so cruel at the end of it all. And the number of families and the number of people that that affects the families of the Yorkshire Ripper never really get over the the losing of, of their mothers and things like this here, and it's and it does have a dreadful effect on people. So, but you but you seem to be looking at it from from a distance. You're viewing it from you're you're almost outside. My wife thinks I'm not there. She uses the word weird, and perhaps it is. But then again, I see so many programs about it that I cannot be the only. Weird as person. a hu-
0: as a species, we are yes. fascinated yeah, by yes, it. Yes, absolutely. Right. What is it about yeah.
1: us mm-hmm. that one people do yeah. these things and two we are fascinated yeah. instead of horrified by it? Right. Okay. I think I think this probably stemmed from t- from two two things. One, when I was about seven or eight years of age, there was a crime of passion committed in. Our village in Kilray. Oh, yeah, that would be a really unusual event. This is long, long before troubles came in, and I'm just talking about a, a normal crime of passion. And my father came back to uh, to tell us, to, obviously, to, to tell my mother about it. And I was sat down at the time, and um, and of course he was describing it in a manner almost as if you know he had got first hand knowledge of the, the whole thing. But it was fascinating because I then felt that the first thing I thought about was. Um, you, you put your mind in what, what, it, what had happened what you think had happened and then I want to go to the very spot where all this took place as well to, and, and, you know, I, never, I never made it out there but, um, and then when I was 10 years of age uh, I was listening to the news before heading off to school and this, the news came through that James Hanratty was hanged for an A6 murder and the name Hanratty was really a, it was really a fascinating name in one aspect but my mother seemed to know a lot about the case now the case was famous in Britain not just in England at the time but remember probably only two TV stations at this stage in 1962 so So that would have been ITV and BBC and therefore it it garnered a lot of of headlines at the time and my mother seemed to have followed the case she started telling me about it and of course she would have been even more fascinated because um, Hanrati Hanrati's father was an Irishman but he went to his, he went to his uh, death uh, saying that he didn't, um, he didn't commit the crime. So that was fascinating. Then the Sunday Times in about 1965, I'm at a boarding school. In 1965, the Sunday Times covered the whole, the whole Hinrati case. They felt as if there was a, a miscarriage of justice. And of course, when there's miscarriages of justice in those days, you're, you know they gather a lot of traction. Anyway, in 19, I think it was about 1969, uh, James Hinrati's father is in Hyde Park either Hyde Park corner or Marble Arch corner I'm not exactly sure but there's a photograph of him there saying that his son was not there he made David a different alibi he was supposed to be in Rill at the time that the whole thing had happened and all this and uh, anyway and who's standing beside him uh, in the photograph John Lennon so that's how big the case had become wow. this is so with DNA coming through uh, you know there's um, seemingly less doubt about it now but however Here's the fascinating thing. In the year 2000, I met the barrister who defended James Hanrati. He was only 30, 33 years of age at At the the time. time. He was a junior barrister. Hanrati took a great liking to him, told him that you're going to defend me in this case. And, And Michael Sherrard, who unfortunately died there just a couple of years ago, but he um, and became an eminent barrister in London. In London circles here, but he was he was defending him, and so the, those hours that he spent talking about him uh, were absolutely fascinating to me. At that stage, the DNA. So they were talking about examining Hanratty's body to see whether it could have matched because there was some DNA still attached to the whole thing. But even he, he thought, and he was you know, and he's a really clever man that um, obviously he said that uh, on the evidence presented at the trial at the time that James and Ruddy should not have been hanged. You no. know? You know? You, you, you're often bashful about this, so I plead with you not to be. Mm. You
0: began, it, it was very early at Queen's, you began studying law until football subsumed you. Mm. Thanks be to God mm. for that. Mm. Well, you're, you've got a formidable mind, mm. that's just a fact... You've got a great power of oratory. Mm. You also have charisma. <laughs> mm. What well, football proved is you have a ferocious yeah. work yeah. work ethic. Had it been the case mm. that a sudden injury in 1971 mm. or 72 had robbed you of yeah. this fabulous career, what kind of bar- lawyer, yeah. barrister, solicitor yeah. might you have made? I would contend that the evidence suggests that we're both
1: hypothesising, but there shouldn't be any reason why you shouldn't have had a fabulous career. Yeah, I'm sure I'd love to have been a barrister, but I wouldn't have been... uh, No, I wouldn't have been... Seriously, I wouldn't have been good enough. And I know this, anyway, because you have to... It's not to say that I'm I'm not reasonably quick on the uptake and things, but, you know, you have to be... I've seen some barristers, and um, they would leave you standing, I must admit, you know, because they're leading they're leading up to something and and they're prepared as well to for a left field something coming in left field or an answer that they might have might not have thought that the witness could have given and I and I think that I think I could have been I could have been sidetracked or not or not good enough to be able to Pull the next one up, you know. And of course, that takes practice. If it you pleases to, your to, lordship,
0: no, no, yeah, yeah. I, I beg to differ. Yeah. It's no. your life. It's your book. Yeah. Your answer, I,
1: I, 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 I would. Um, this that surprises yeah. me. Well, uh, let me tell you. Okay, so I um, when I was a player, I um, I knew this barrister in Nottingham, and he was going up to um, he was going up to see a client in Walton Jail in um, in Liverpool, and it was during the summer time. And he was fascinated by a case that uh, took place way back in 1931 in Anfield, where uh, a fellow called Wallace, Herbert Wallace, who worked for the Prudential, and he was accused uh, of murdering his wife. He was found guilty, and he was the first man in British criminal history to get off in the Court of Appeal. He got off, don't think he ever did it, and we were uh, going to spend the day afterwards... Um, after he had seen his client in Walton jail. And then we were going to spend the rest of the day going around, at, at, going to Anfield to Wolverton Street to see the house where the murder had taken place, or only looking inside and all that type of stuff. <laughs> anyway, so he said, I have to see this client first of all. And he goes up to see him and um, the lad is, the lad is let, it, let in because he is um, he's, uh, on remand at this minute. And his case is coming up the following Tuesday, so this is about a week. So uh, Graham <coughs> is getting, glad the, the barrister's called Graham, he was getting to know the, the case, talking to the fellow. And of course I'm I'm in the room, I'm allowed, in, allowed into the room because I'm going to be taking some notes from him. But anyway, so I'm, I'm in. Uh, and uh, the lad is pleading the case that he hadn't uh, he hadn't stolen the things or whatever it was that he was up for, and he's made such a good case that I'm uh, I'm totally convinced of his innocence, totally and utterly convinced of it. So uh, Graham said, "Well, I'll see you next uh, next Monday, and we'll get there's things prepared for the following day." He said, "Absolutely." And of course, he's pleading to Graham to make sure they can get him off. So he leaves. We walk out of the room. We get out to. Uh, out towards the car and I said Graham you've got to do your best to get this fellow off and he said he's absolutely guilty He said, he's totally guilty and he was (laughs) and he pleaded guilty on the fall the the day day before the trial so I'm a really good judge of a character aren't I Mm.
0: well I'd say you've proven both points there because you've just taken me apart with some good evidence that you had gathered there so Mm. We'll leave you with the advantage, but I'm claiming a score draw. I'd love to have seen you <laughs> in silk. Yeah. Um, Andy Cochran um, takes us to more familiar territory for you in that um, having won the European Cup consecutively in seventy-nine and eighty, two two years later where Neil is in the crowd watching at Norwich where you're getting in great shape for the World Cup mm-hmm. and you've qualified for the World Cup. And Andy Cochran writes in to say to us, for Martin, what was the overwhelming, overwhelming feeling and experience of being part of a Northern Ireland team that beat Spain in 1982 and went through to effectively the quarterfinals? Andy says, I was watching it as a 12-year-old at the time and I imagine that being involved must have been amazing.
1: Well, he's absolutely right. I suppose if you're, if you're asking Messi or asking Ronaldo, the pinnacle of their careers is to win the World Cup. If, you're, if you are uh, less talented... Um, and playing for a small nation, then the, the, uh, certainly one of the, the big highs would be qualifying for the competition. So, Northern Ireland, we had, uh, had qualified in 1958 with the great players that they had, like Danny Blancer, Bertie Peacock, uh, Harry Gregg, people like that. And here we have this opportunity uh, to try and qualify. We're in the same group, we're in the same qualifying group as Scotland, we're in alongside Portugal and Sweden and um, we have some highs and some lows during the course of that there, finally beating Israel at Windsor Park to qualify for the competition. Just fantastic. So uh, off we set. We're put in the same group as the host nation, Spain, one of the favourites, in Honduras that we wouldn't really know a great deal about, but, you know, Central American side, and, and, uh, and Yugoslavia, and they were called Yugoslavia at that time, who I think... Certainly in the, in the mid-70s, we're probably the most talented bunch of players in, in, in European football. So we're out, we're stationed in Valencia, and yet two of the games are going to be in Zaragoza, you know. So, so we'll fly each morning uh, to these games and then fly back again. But uh, we've drawn against Yugoslavia, drawn against Honduras, which leaves us, we have to essentially win the game against Spain. I honestly think, obviously, Spain having won the World Cup again, and uh, what was it, 2010? Yeah, 2010. You'd have to say, maybe this wasn't the most talented Spanish side of all time, no. but was still, still, still for us, that was going to be a, a, a tough ask. So, for me to be the captain of the team that that wins this game and takes us into the quarterfinal was just fantastic. I mean, I you, you mentioned some some great moments in your career. And I had you know holding the holding the European trophy aloft, which belongs to the likes of Puskas de Stefano and george best and the and the celtic lads uh and that was fantastic and then this this moment here of beating Spain to be in the quarter to take us into the quarterfinals of the world cup' just amazing
0: are there are there glimpses of you're right about the whole experience in the qualifying campaign really well? on days Mm. like this your autobiography but are there glimpses of of what the living in the World Cup living in Valencia was like because the heat must have been Mm -hmm. incredible you travelled backstage I know you're living there in high summer for a long time probably you've known notice of this but six months before Spain has had a coup Mm -hmm. (laughs) the armed forces have tried to storm and it's Valencia that the tanks surround it's really only six Mm -hmm. months before Yeah. yeah Could anybody speak Spanish? What were the locals like? What was Billy Bingham like as as a guy interacting with Spaniards?
1: Well, some some really good moments. I must admit, because first of all, the experience is just fantastic. We trained. Uh, we did not. Uh, my my good friend, uh, John Robertson, playing for Scotland ah, at bless. the time. Scotland Scotland were doing their pre pre World Cup in Portugal, and we are doing it down at Sussex University. <laughs> Practically Spain. Yeah, absolutely. Staying in Brighton at the time. So the interesting thing about it, Sussex University was it was actually the weather was so brilliant that we could have easily been out, out in Portugal. But that was more luck than judgment. We had uh, Jerry Armstrong. Jerry was incredibly fit at the time. Jerry Bingham. Bingham had us doing an awful lot of pre-season work or pre pre World Cup work, which means like a preseason running. To, running. We did a lot of running. Jerry liked and his running Jerry could run he could
0: run forever can I tell you Jerry's told me many times he never had a bad game in his life so um, just so that we're clear about that
1: well it's interesting you should say well I might as well go straight to that story because <laughs> we're staying in the hotel in, in Valencia the phone's to the room and, and trying to phone home very very expensive at the time very <laughs> expensive and Jerry Jerry and we obviously want to hear we're cocooned in, the, in Valencia but things are going well for us so we really want to hear what, the, what people are saying back home and one of the things that we did get to it was that, um, just before the competition had started, um, Jimmy Greaves was asked how Northern Ireland might do. And Jimmy Greaves was very, very funny. He said, um, he said I think the Northern Ireland players should pack a, toothp- a toothbrush and an overnight bag because they'll be coming home soon. <laughs> and it was kind of funny. So... As the competition is, is going on, Jerry's doing brilliantly in the competition, and Jerry has befriended a cafe owner about uh, three or four hundred yards down from the hotel, and of course then Jerry, so Jerry is now the messenger who's sending him out to find out what's happening. What are they saying about this, Jerry? And the news must be really great. After we've beaten um, beaten Spain, Jerry's sent out again. No, it didn't take much for Jerry to go down there, he would have volunteered anyway. So he's, he's back, he's coming up the road, we're waiting in anticipation. Jerry, what are they saying about us? Saying about you? Ah, he said, he said there's only three players in this World Cup Socrates, Falcao and myself. <laughs> Which is brilliant. 24 carat, Jerry. Absolutely. Socrates, Falcao and <laughs> myself. <laughs> But he was he, honestly, he was having the tournament of a lifetime. He was playing great. He was, a, and of course we had uh, Norman Whiteside as a young kid coming through, the youngest player since Pelle to play in the in the World Cup. He was um, essentially a strong boy, really really strong, good player, and we needed him in the side as well too. You could look after himself, Graham. He was really uh, Norman's very strong uh, for a seventeen-year-old. You know, really really brilliant. But what we had about the team, we had a good naturally good spirit, Catholics and Protestants joining in together really good spirit, good camaraderie obviously, and the great thing, of, thing about us is that the, we could we could defend we could defend strongman if we have something to hold on to we could defend it, for instance you know the, uh, when we scored early on in the second half against, against Spain it's a long 45 minutes But the one thing you felt is that yeah they might get a goal, but they'll not overwhelm us, you know, that, and And then when Maldoni gets sent off with 20 minutes to go...
0: Spain had a quite helpful referee on the night, if I remember correctly.
1: Incredible, yeah. He was a South American fellow. Was it from Colombia, was it? Yeah. So, and he, I mean, he sent Maldoni off without even seeing the incident. Didn't even see it. Anyway, but um, for us to win the game against them was just really absolutely extraordinary. Extraordinary. (laughs)
0: So there, Andy, is where well, are some of Martin's memories of Spain in 1982? You go through and you do well, and the, there's a second group stage. Then,
1: second Austria quarter and final, France, yeah, if I'm France, not wrong. We drew with Austria. That, that's France side. France side were were exceptional. The best team in the World Cup. The Brazil. midfield is, is Tigana, uh, Tigana Fernandez, Fernandez and Gires, Gires uh-huh.
0: Trezor at the back, yeah, Platini yeah, up front. Yeah. Frontiers, yeah, absolutely, um, and they get uh, bullied out of the semi-final yeah. by, yeah, by uh, Thug Schumacher. Yeah,
1: in the game against France, I score a goal in the game, and it's but it's absolutely roasting hot. We're playing in um, Atletico Stadium, the Caldera. Calderon. Yeah, I mean, I think Graham, I think 1982 was even by by Spanish stand, standards a really really hot summer. I think it'd been the hottest one they'd had for about thirty years. Really and so we're playing um what is it about three o'clock in the daytime or something, it's three or four o'clock in the day. Twenty five minutes gone in the game, I play a one two with Jerry, uh Jerry Armstrong, and Jerry incredibly gives it back. Um <laughs> Normally speaking he would turn and go go in another direction, plays it back. L- looking for Socrates or <laughs> I hit this left foot into the net. So I'm halfway round Madrid celebrating before uh, before the um Sammy McElroy shirt to me and says, um it's offside. I'm a yard onside, as the TV cameras would prove. Anyway, so had we had taken the lead, Graham, I, I listen, we were well beaten in the match because we started to chase it. Let me tell you, a minute later, after Giresse scores, so they're leading one nil at half time. Had we have been the other way around, it might have been a long time for for, for France. They were magnificent side. Most likely they would have caught us, but um, you never know. You've allowed me to dream that it's a semi
0: final, Northern Ireland against Germany and you know, West Germany. Whatever happens, happens, but Jerry clattering Schumacher yeah. rather than Schumacher that, clattering that, Patty Stone. That Storm. could
1: easily have happened then.
0: Lord, why? Yeah,
1: <laughs> could easily
0: have. Happened. I've hated Schumacher all my life for that. there's one key question here sent in by Andrew Anderson I I don't know what you make of it Martin saw Scottish football up close during his glorious years with Celtic and encountered our national team both playing for Northern Ireland and managing Ireland can you ask Martin why our national team Scotland has been much less successful than Ireland in the last 20 years or so and what would he recommend principally we do to change that
1: it is a surprise to me when I was a player in the in the in the seventies not, uh, with Nottingham Forest. There wouldn't have been a there wouldn't have been a a, a top team, and I'm talking about your Liverpools. I'm talking about your uh, uh, Arsenal. You're talking about that didn't contain top quality Scots players playing in the side. You know, really top quality. You had. John, John world class. Him. We Kenny, Kenny Burns, Burns, Burns. Archie Gemmill, absolutely. You know, John McGovern from Bankery. John McGovern, just down the road John, from me. John never actually. I don't ever think he played for Scotland, but you know. Martin, and we're
0: we claiming we're, him, okay?
1: Okay. Oh, absolutely. We're, I mean, absolutely. No, I don't. I don't think he ever did. John O'Hare at
0: some stage. John O'Hare did play. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: So, and then you look at the Liverpool side: uh, Suness, Hansen, Dalgleish. You would have expected Scotland to have gone on to have done really well. If you can remember uh, Ali McLeod coming back and saying they'll be disappointed if they don't get a medal in the competition, I, you know? I can remember. Yeah, they so, pinched him from my club. They pinched him mm. from Aberdeen. So I don't really know what what was what was going what was going on or why Scotland didn't go and, and progress. But I think that uh, and I'll proffer something here. Uh, when I was managing at, uh, managing Celtic, uh, Celtic had a we had a. We had some Scottish players, but you know what was happening is that Rangers and ourselves we were having foreign players coming into yours now and I think that these these things eventually must must take its toll somewhere mm-hmm. along the way. I think that if you are getting a and and if you are having some players that that you feel as if that they're not they're, this young Scottish player is maybe not progressing to the to the extent that he should be had he uh, I just feel that some some foreign imports are probably in taking... Blocking case. development. But blocking development. I think that that, that that might be a point. But I think now, I think Scotland are getting, the, getting themselves together again, unlucky against not to, not to qualify, really. And I just... I, I do genuinely think that they have the talent. The talent looks as if it's coming back again.
0: More and more of them are playing in England. More and more of them are moving abroad where they will learn different skills, yeah. different maturity... We can keep our fingers crossed, Andrew. Um, the England job, Martin. Yeah, as right. we come to a close. I a, yeah. a grand there? When they interviewed you, you, you said at the time, oh, maybe first interviews. Now I don't go down very well. Yeah. I'd have loved to have seen that generation mm. of players that was moving on from Sven and Eriksson being coached by you. Mm. Do you look back and think, well, I, I could have done better than maybe was done? And what do you think the blockage was? It about you taking your staff.
1: Well, I, th- I think there's a couple of things to it. I think that it was one where um, I had been I'd been out of the out of the game for about a year. I left Celtic obviously with wife having illnesses she had to overcome. By 2006, the uh, England job was becoming available. I remember, and uh, but I th- I think there was a couple of things too. I think the England job is uh, uh, obviously a very, very special job. There's no question about it. It's up up there alongside managing the likes of Brazil and Argentina, believe it or not, I think. Um, And it is. I think there was a strong part of me probably thought that I wanted to go back into club management again. And while there might not have been anything in that particular day in the offing, I think that that, that's probably having had my time at Celtic. um, Now there was a chance here. Things were on the mend at at home in terms of illness getting getting better, and uh, so I think probably I probably had that at the back of my mind uh, when England came calling. Also, probably thought that you know, <clears throat> sounds crazy. I Probably thought that you know I have to do more to be the England manager at the time. I think that, and I think those things were were um, were in the back of my mind at the time, more in the sense that well, uh, perhaps maybe not, but I felt as if you you know you have to maybe want to couple of championships in that there before you uh, move on to do it. Yeah.
0: you think the FA
1: thought that no no I thought I, that, no that was kind of my thought at the time they should have given but you it, the job I think but, but, but essentially I think that um, club management was still very appealing to me at the stage on that subject James Cosgrove asks I'd be interested to
0: know how close Martin was to joining Leeds in 2001-2002 when David O'Leary left from what I remember the local media reported as nearly a done deal before it collapsed but I might be wrong I don't
1: think Leeds would have collapsed so badly had we managed to get Martin in at that point. I mean, I must admit that, uh, you know, there were a number of offers at the time, Leeds United included, but I must admit I was really loving it at Celtic, you know. So that was... That was um, but the, the, the chance... If my contract was running down at, at, um, at uh, Celtic, then the Leeds United job, which was a really, really big job, would have been would have been something of, of serious
0: interest. Some quick fire ones before we talk about your future. Um, I'd be fascinated to know what's the best player signing you've ever made, for your perspective, pound for pound, across your entire managerial career.
1: Well, it's a very good qu- question. I've been asked that a number of times, Graham. I'm I'm genuinely not sure. For instance, some players that that have uh, cost six million pounds, which I think have been great. Um, how do they if you're talking about pound per pound how do they compare to 50,000 Didier for instance you know let me start at Celtic for instance when Mark Voduga left to go uh, that, that left a big hole he didn't want to come back I, I never managed Mark he, he, was, he was leaving in the summer time he made it clear that he was leaving and he was a brilliant footballer and I would love if he had stayed at the football mm-hmm. club but he had made his mind up to go so when he leaves and he goes to Leeds we need to we, we use the money and I take Chris Sutton. Chris Sutton comes up. Now, if Chris Sutton had... Although he wanted to come at the time and it was great and he was there for the opening game of the season because we played Dundee United at Tannadice, But if he had waited six or seven weeks or something like this here and by the time that we had played Rangers in their... I think it was in our fourth or fifth game, the time that we beat them 6-2 and Sutton had a big influence in the game. Therefore, Sutton, if he had not been there at this stage, no, uh, uh, Rangers could have... Overcome us, you know, in in the game, and and all of this all all our first seasons work, you know, could have been undone in the in the first couple of weeks, you know. So if we didn't have had if we had hadn't got Mark Viduka's replacement, hadn't it been Chris Sutton, hadn't it been somebody else, let's say, um, it might not have happened. So I've Sutton been, always maintains that he was the major signing.
0: I've but, been party to your your cat and dog act on stage which is yeah. fantastically yeah. funny yeah. but when Chris talks privately he said he, he was miserable mm. he was a flop mm. you rescued him yeah. now I know you won't say to him on stage no. what you just said about me, yeah. and he doesn't say about you because it's a brilliant thing yeah. you've got going yeah. but he knows that yeah. you, you, you lifted him out of the I,
1: matter I, I did but he, he was a big pl- and there was a big player coming to us you know a really big player at that stage across on days like these there are so many trophies there's so
0: much winning there's so much that Vince Lombardi would have approved of but which medal which trophy which as a player or as a manager with Wickham or Celtic Leicester's trophies they haven't won that many in their history and you're dominant in the number of trophies which trophy which medal player or manager if you have to go right in here the answer comes out naturally which one is it? Well as a
1: player the European Cup European Cup final. I didn't play in the first one in Munich, and I picked up an injury about three weeks beforehand. But whether I would have played or not, you know, it's another point because Trevor Francis, great great player, was going to be eligible for the final. The rules were kind of strange in those days. That that was the only game that he was eligible for. He scores a goal at the back post with John Robertson heads across the, the right the ball hand back post where I would who, have been. Who might have been there? Absolutely. I was there for for most of the season, so I might, why why shouldn't I have been there again? So that would have been fantastic, but for me to miss it, which was a major disappointment, and uh, and then the following year, Nottingham Forest going again and winning it, you know, just that, the, the final whistle uh, against Hamburg when we won it in Madrid Stadium, you know, which is fantastic. So and that's what you set out, you know, you saw one of my first games I ever saw on TV, and it wasn't even my own, was the European Cup final, Frankfurt, Frankfurt, uh, Frankfurt. Absolutely. At hand and being at, devastated at, at by at Real Madrid. Absolutely. And so, if you think you know, uh, in a black and white TV, where you see the see the, these white shirts, you know, so angelic looking, you know, and the players who were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. So, from that viewpoint, it, it th- meant something above all the other things. It meant to, to win at the Bernabeu? I, do, I, do, I think so. Yeah. I absolutely yes. If you were choosing, if you were choosing some players would be there the New Camp, you know. So, but you would absolutely yeah. Did you score at New Camp now? I um, was at home for distillery? I was at home for distillery uh, against the, the goalkeeper I didn't realise until somebody told me a couple of years later, a couple of years ago, was Pepe Reina's father. M- M- Miguel, you know, Miguel M- Reina, can, yeah, uh, who played for Atletico in um, the final. Mm-hmm.
0: Atletico lost to Bayern Munich on a replay. That's right. Schwarzenbeck scores from a different postal mm-hmm. code against mm-hmm. him in the 91st minute, Bayern draw and then win the mm-hmm. replay 3-0. Mm-hmm. And poor old... Pippi Reynastad, who was not a gigantic goalkeeper, mm. got the blame for that one. Yeah.
1: Legendary um, man, nice man mm. too. Um, so that would be that. And then obviously player, with, with a manager. international level, I think that obviously the, uh, the moment we beat Spain, which is great, and me being captain of the team. So those are, you know, uh, big moments. As a manager, that would be uh, hard to think because each one in its context is really important to me. You know, for instance, getting Wigan Wonders into the Football League. Big moment, that's what I set out to do, and so that, that that was great. Days at Leicester. Have you told me about a quarter past five in uh, the 30th of uh, March in 1996 that I would actually uh, win a competition with Leicester, win a couple of competitions, today? Uh, you would have got long odds about it because we'd just lost to Sheffield United and the crowd were not happy. Were not happy with their manager. Not happy at all. So... Uh, so Leicester days were great, obviously Celtic was just uh, phenomenal. H- hard to imagine one, one specific cup, you know.
0: Then before I talk about the future, I have to ask you about Popeye. Because there are a lot of laughs mm. in, on days like these. Mm. And um, you talked about the supporters. There's a lot of traction from the large numbers of Noah mm. Alls behind mm. the dugout. Lewis is a substitute. And Whitlow is not good today. Yeah. But I cannot allow, I cannot allow yeah. Lewis onto the pitch. His surrogate dad behind me will have won. And this is the man who's been bawling at you. Get Lewis on, get Lewis on. So you say, his surrogate dad behind me will have won. And I will have no option but to continue with him until the season ends or my time as manager ends, which <laughs> might be more close at, home, close at hand. I cannot buy a win. Whitlow is injured for our next home game and finally I start Lewis in the match. At least Popeye behind me will be satisfied. But with 15 minutes gone, Lewis slips, allowing the winger to cut inside and fire a left-foot shot that whizzes inches past the post. What happens next is unbelievable. i just over my right shoulder, the same face that has for weeks been screaming for Lewis's appearance roars more loudly than ever. Get Lewis
1: off! Oh. Get him! It's... <laughs> do you know, it's... It's... it's <laughs> It is a, a, it's a salutary lesson for me because do not listen. You have to. I couldn't believe it. You thought, you know, sometimes when you're when you are when you can't buy a win, and you're starting to think, well, I might have to please somebody by picking the team. I remember Jimmy Nichol once saying when he was uh, when he was a manager uh, and they weren't getting a result. I think it might have been down at Millwall. He said, "You sometimes you 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 actually pick a player because he's actually hanging around." <laughs> <laughs> he was joking. He was joking, but I got the message. I know what you. And that. And suddenly, these boys behind, but one in particular was shouting, "Get Lewis on the, for game after game after game." And I thought, "I'm not. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it." And he was coming on for like, like. um a couple, of, a couple of moments towards the end of matches either a lot of talent the boy Lewis a lot of talent but he just couldn't it's not defend. for all Lewis I'm more interested in it, it's Popeye that but it's Popeye afterwards and then shouting couldn't believe it shouting get Lewis off
0: uh, I'm going to because the book's so good I have to cheat with one last one that I didn't mention right. to you My, the, your initiation at Manchester City I, I come from days again there's not that much of an age output yeah. between us and I think that when the game was more robust I quite liked it mm-hmm. and I think often when arguments are temporarily sorted out by fisticuffs, you often get things clear, but of course it'd be the jail now, it'd be all over the papers. Yeah. But I'm thinking about Joe Corrigan's initiation ceremony at Manchester City. Yeah. Would you like to describe it?
1: Yeah, it's see. Um, yeah. Joe, for Henry doesn't remember him. Yeah. Is, is it, Joe, Joe, Joe's, a, Joe's a very big lad. Fish very, is like meat absolutely, plates. Absolutely, a very big lad. And we'd played... Uh, it was a Saturday night, Saturday night game and we're playing down uh we're playing down somewhere in Somerset, I think it was, um and uh, the following Monday night we're going up to Ibrox to play. So but we will be travelling o- essentially overnight and and heading you know it's a long way, Somerset up to and uh, anyway, we played in the game, it's our first match I think of of our pre season and then we're going to Ibrox for the Monday night. And uh, so we get onto the bus, Tommy Hutchinson says, uh, hey, Joe, uh, you, you haven't given Martin his initiation yet. And I thought, well, uh, is he going to hand me a, a little medal or something? <laughs> is it you know, is it, have you got one of these? Is this uh, peculiar just... Welcome to just, the club. Just welcome to the club, absolutely. And Joe said, oh, no, that's right. And, and I, I mean, if you're expecting it, I think you can maybe take some sort of, uh, some sort of action in many, and uh, but Joe just, he just leathered you straight in the chest at this point and that must have gone over three seats you know, honestly the pack of the bus so you can imagine what that was like and then but Joe realised that was a very very strong point, she asking you alright well I couldn't even answer because I couldn't get a breath it's a long way, it's a long way up to Glasgow from Biddeford I think it was, That's a long way in the bus there, if you we'll can't breathe, right, absolutely so he busted my ribs in the end, of, and then um, I, I, I don't know why, I didn't, I didn't want to start the game against um, Rangers, and, uh, but John Bond, I didn't tell John Bond about this thing, cause of course you couldn't do, and uh, Bond plays me in the game and then wants to know why he takes me off at half-time, because <laughs> I'm useless. Uh, absolutely useless I don't want to be at Eyebrows, I want to be in some hospital trying to get my ribs sorted out You're a sufficiently tolerant
0: man to allow me to say with well, a drop of humour, better days but not that particular day
1: mm. But No, that. No, no. listen, they're funny when Joe Corrigan can beat you uh, in, a, in a a long distance run on the way home I had a bit of a cab problem I must admit, but when Joe Corrigan beat you home, then I think you really have to think about things, you know On Days Like These um, is is a very funny,
0: but also very detailed, very interesting read, well-written, well-done, good career, good Good. life. Um, I've watched you on stage a few times recently, vibrant. It could have been a dressing room. Mm. You know, you're you're sharp, you're young, you're live, you've kept yourself in good shape. I presume that you have not finished, that that in the right circumstances... This obsession, mm. this—it is an addiction. We talked about the addiction of winning. Mm.
1: I don't think that's left you fully, has it? Oh no, I don't. I don't. No, that—that—that. That, that, I don't think that will ever leave you. Absolutely not. Um, competitive instinct. I think you will take you, you will take to your um, your last breath. But I'm seventy years of age. I probably I, I probably feel like a, a fifty year old, or whatever the case may be. I don't have anybody working for me. I don't have an agent or anything like that. So that and, and so. I'm not really you know you not putting your name around there for things, and my daughters keep telling me, Dad, that this is not um, you now of uh, of your Celtic days or less the city days or whatever it is that people are coming to you. I do have the energy and determination and enthusiasm, and I think all of those things i i, I wouldn't uh, I don't think I would lose, but I do feel that there's um, let's let's use the word ageism, and I think mm. it might it might it might play a part perhaps maybe with all the experience that I, that I would have, that you would feel that people might be looking for that there. And yet, I, I do think that the ageism does seem to play a, a, a part in, in, in uh, people's thinking. I might be wrong. I hope I'm wrong, if, that, mm. if that's the case. Management or coaching has changed as, um, over the years. Um, the way that Alex Ferguson used to run a football club uh, probably no longer exists now, where I, you know, put Iran the whole football club, yeah. and in actual fact I, I, I felt as if I did that myself. Both at uh, at the club uh, at the clubs I was at, at at Celtic, where Dermot Desmond said, "I want you to take ownership of the football club," which was like like manna from heaven to me. It was just exactly what I wanted. And in my early days at at Aston Villa, uh, the owner said the same thing as well too And eventually, I earned enough. I earned enough at, at Leicester to be able to run the football club as well too. I'm not saying at the beginning, but certainly uh, from uh, promotion onwards. The changes I see taking taking place in the game are are probably as much to do with people's perception mm-hmm. as anything else. And uh, the perception is that if you manage in a certain era, you're not able to manage now. And it is, which is uh, just nonsensical really, because... And management is there there's um, there 's an element to management that i don 't think will ever change you know and it 's called man management and uh, and I think I have that. I do believe that the, the that the younger player probably can 't deal with the criticism as much as players uh, let 's say and I just only go back maybe the last ten or ten or fifteen years. I think that that 's definitely um, definitely true, and listening to some of the managers you know who are younger than me, who are mentioning uh, these particular things, probably feel that. And it might be money plays a part in that there, young players getting an awful lot of money. Then with that there comes uh, a sense of entitlement. But I still essentially think that, uh, that management is much to do, dealing with those players in that sort of capacity, praising them when they need to be praised, analysing the game, criticism, for want of a better word, when it's due, but by the same token... Making sure that the players actually, if they have received some sort of criticism, that that's not going to weigh heavily on them for the rest of their the week or something. Like you that you can come back and uh, and make them play, and eventually, the game is the management game is making players play for you. The things that you've got
0: will never change: the ability mm-hmm. to convince, the ability to lead, the ability to teach on on the training mm-hmm. pitch, an understanding of what a team and what a team spirit should be formed of. Those things don't go away. I'm really pleased that you're, you're not finished. This has been the big interview with Martin O'Neill. Principally, it's been driven by On Days Like These, mm-hmm. which is published now. It's Martin's Life Story, written by Martin, which is always the best way to do it if you possibly can. Congratulations on the book. As I said before, you have to say congratulations on a life well-lived. Mm-hmm. And I'm pleased to see that there's a possibility, at least, that if the right club right owner right director of football comes to you that will see more of you i think football is richer for having you in it oh and that's very kind of you i think thank that's you. the truth mm. and there are many avenues left mm. which will be acerbic mm. accurate content on television mm. or radio or mm. on stage if not mm. but for the moment i hope somebody listens to this and says yeah i'll, I'll have some more
1: days like those with mm. martin o'neill that's very kind of you thank you very much Graham. thank you